Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. So I was drinking a milkshake the other day and I was sitting on a cliff and I thought to myself, this is legendary. <laughs> My wife told me the other day, she said, hey, Kevin, put ketchup on the, on the grocery list. So I did, and now I can't read anything on the list. <laughs> if y'all got a Bible, you might want to follow along. We're going to walk through the book of Galatians. Not only today, the next couple of weeks, we're going to be through the book of Galatians. Do y'all ever feel like, uh, I tell you what, before we get into that, let's, let's do this. Would you stand with me today in honor of God's word? And we're going to, <clears throat> that song that I asked them to sing today, Jaira, You Are Enough, is all about our, our identity. The reason I asked them to sing it is um, we, we have some identity issues in our culture. We've got people identifying themselves through the wrong things. Um, let me tell you, if you identify yourself through things like the amount of money you have in your bank, just let another 2008 happen. How are you going to identify yourself then? If you identify yourself through your sexuality, what happens if you get sick? Think about it. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Whatever you identify yourself with, it's probably the wrong thing. So what we're going to talk about specifically this summer, so we're going to talk about our identities and how our identities are to be formed. Because I've been reading the Apostle Paul, and I've been working through his letters, and the more I work through them, the more I realize he has something to say to us today that I think will actually make a high impact on our lives if we're willing to listen. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to read this verse with me, all right? Y'all ready? We're going to put it up on the screen, and it's Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, and I'm asking you to read it out loud with me, all right? So ready? Here we go. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, we're going to read it again because you need to get this out of your head and into your heart. You ready? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, y'all did really good. I'm looking around and most of you are reading, but there were a couple of you that didn't, okay? All right, so here's what I want you to do, because this is what we're going to do in church. Y'all ready? I want you to turn to somebody close to you and give them a real big smile. Just turn, give them a big smile. Look at them, smile at them, yeah? And now say, were you reading? <laughs> come on, come on, hold them accountable. Accountability helps. And, and if they weren't reading, say, come on, join me this time. Can you join me? Not the guy up there. Can you join me, your friend sitting next to you? Ask them if they would read with you. Come on. All right, y'all ready? Now let's do it together because you got a friend close to you that wants you to read it with them. Come on, make your friend feel comfortable. Y'all ready? Here we go. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's amazing how much louder you were that time because when you did it with a friend, when you did it with a friend rather than the dude up front, you actually participated more, and I guarantee it meant more to you. Now can we look at the content real quick? What's the only thing that counts? Your identity, the only thing that counts is your faith you have in Christ and what you do with it, which is to love people. You know, the church is really good at talking about faith, but really bad about talking about love. And I want us 
in this body. I want us to be a church that's known, a called out group of believers that are known for our love, for our love, not for our political affiliation. That's not my identity. I, I said not my political affiliation. That's not my identity. And if it's your identity, then you got the wrong identity. Faith expressing itself through love. So one final time with your friend, really loud. Let's get this sense. We've talked about what it means. Let's do it together. Y'all ready? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now look back at that person that read with you and tell them thanks for reading with you and then you may be seated today. Now, isn't it more fun when you do something with a friend? If I, were to bow, if, I were, if I were to just take this whole message today and I were to boil down what I want to say to you to just a very simple phrase, it would be this. The Christian life is meant to be lived with friends. The Christian life is meant to be lived with friends. Now, do you ever feel like this world's gone crazy? Do you ever feel like it's gone too far and you wake up in the morning and you're like, I... I I don't even want to turn on the news because I don't want to know what happened last. Anybody like that? Anybody you, you get, you start reading the news or you start hearing stories or you're at the water cooler, somebody starts talking and you just get mad and you feel it bubbling out of you. Come on, anybody like that? You, get, you feel the anger start flowing up and, and you look at the world and you think, how, how did we get here? How, how did we get here that we're so divided over political parties that what is a problem in, in one isn't a problem in the next. And what wasn't a problem in one is a problem. I don't understand how we get to this point. I don't understand how families are being divided and destroyed right in front of my eyes. How people hide behind masks for an entire year. Their emotional health goes down the tubes. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, all for, I'm all for the mask thing. I'm all for the mask thing. I, I was part of it. I'm all for the social distancing. We had to do what we had to do. But don't be surprised when you do things like that and you isolate yourself from people. I know people that haven't left their home in a year and a half. And, and by the way, they're all depressed. Why? Why? Because you're not meant to live alone. You're not meant to live in isolation, stuck off somewhere in a corner hiding from everyone. And that's, that's why tension and depression and anxiety gone through the roof. And, and how did the early church make an impact? Think about it. The early church lived in just as perverted, just as twisted, just as ungodly of a, of a culture as we do. And they were much more hostile to your faith because they were actually throwing Christian to the lions. That hasn't happened to any of you lately, has it? All right. So there was this early church started with 120 believers. And in 250 years, they brought the most powerful empire in the world to its knees. That, that, that shame of a Roman cross, the ultimate sign of shame and degradation was to crucify you on a cross, becomes now the symbol of victory all throughout the Roman Empire. And everywhere you go in Rome today, there are crosses everywhere. And they're the ones that killed Jesus on the cross to shame him. How did the symbol of shame become a symbol of victory? All in 250 years or less. How? They had no political power. Hold on. They had no political power. They didn't have anybody from their group elected. Maybe we've been focusing on the wrong thing. 
no political power, persecuted, ostracized, yet they changed the world. Maybe they had something we didn't have. Maybe the only thing that mattered was faith expressing itself through love. Because the church is really bad at loving people. We claim, we talk a lot about faith. We don't talk a lot about love. Love means that you love people who are different than you. Love means that you care for people who are different than you. It's amazing. Jesus was loved by people that he shouldn't have loved. Isn't it amazing that prostitutes felt it was okay to wash his hair or wash his feet with their hair? Think about that. And think about what that would happen in church today. I mean, my goodness. So reading Paul's letters, we'll see some key things we need to embrace. Paul trained, so, so this is how Paul changed the world. Y'all ready for this? The Apostle Paul, yes, it was Jesus that changed the world. It was his 12 followers. But without Paul, you and I wouldn't be sitting here today. So Paul would do this. Paul would go on a journey. He would go into a town. He would go into the synagogue in the town because they were the ones that believed, the Jewish people believed in a God that we as Christians believe in. And he would go in and proclaim them the fuller understanding of the God they believed in, in the revelation of Jesus. Some of those people then would believe and become followers of Jesus. Paul would lay hands on people and pray for them and, 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 and people would be healed and miracles would happen. And, and then he taught the people in that community to use their spiritual gifts for them to become ministers to their community. And then the pastor left. He put somebody in charge and walked away. And, and what happened is those people who were sitting in the ecclesia then were responsible to make sure that they were living the Christian life, the, the life lived in love and power, and they were responsible for holding one another accountable because their leader left. And then Paul, when he heard they were goofed up and things were going wrong in the church, he would write a letter back to them and tell them, you guys need to fix this and get it straight. So he would correct them and bring discipline to them. Are, are y'all getting this? How did Paul change the world? He preached the gospel to people. Those people believed it was their job to live in the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives and their community. And those same people accepted and received the correction of other followers of Christ who were directing them. And, and that's, those are all no-nos now in the church. Number one, you all think it's a preacher's job for everybody to get saved. No, it's your job. Listen, it is your job to operate in the spiritual gifts, not just in church. Yes, we want them here in church, but you need them in your home, in your marketplace, in the places you live, and in your neighborhood. It is your job to be the church of Jesus Christ, to faith expressing itself through love to your neighborhood. That's your job. And it is then the job of the pastoral leadership and the authority, you know, the apostles or whatever they were, it was their job then to correct those that were stepping outside the proper bounds of rightness. And you can't do that now. Don't judge me. Only God can judge me. No, in the Bible, we're to judge one another. Getting too up in your business now? That person sitting next to you, it is their job to hold you accountable for your Christian life. And we live in a world right now, don't judge me, I can do whatever I want to. Not in the church. You may do that before you get saved, but once you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a requirement to submit to the authority of the body of Christ that tells you when you step out of line. So, Paul did this, and then he would write these letters. And those letters that he wrote 
we put them together and we call them the Bible. But actually, they're just letters that Paul wrote to the church to tell them that they needed to shape up or ship out. So, today we're going to start with the book of Galatians. And I have three minutes to do something I spent literally hours on. Okay? So, I'm going to put a timeline up. And uh, the timeline, Jesus was crucified and resurrected around 30 A.D., and uh, Paul goes on a second missionary journey all the way at 52 AD. That's when he goes to Corinth. So in that time period, and the book of Galatians for the first two chapters talks about a lot of these journeys. Paul made at least three, possibly four trips to Jerusalem. The first one was in AD 34, a couple of years after he got saved. So catch this, Paul probably got saved within like three years, uh, three, three to six months of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Paul was a follower of Jesus. I always thought it was years later, but it's not years later. It was in three to six months that the Apostle Paul got saved. And then uh, you, can, you can go back to this and just stay on this slide. And then he took in, it was probably AD, it says 40, but it was 42 to 40, I'm sorry, 46 to 48 AD. Paul took his first missionary journey, he went to this place called Galatia. And we're going to show you a map of his first missionary journey. And you can see that he left from Antioch over there on the right-hand side, and Jerusalem is down below. And Paul was a world traveler, so he took four, probably five or six or seven, because a good Jewish person was supposed to go back to Jerusalem every year. So Paul probably went to Jerusalem several times, and he mentioned several of these in the book of Acts and the book of Galatians. But notice on his first missionary journey, he went up to the other Antioch up there, and the other Antioch is in the region of what? Galatia, not the town Galatia, but the region of Galatia. So Galatians is a letter written to the churches in that area. So we can go back to the timeline. So Paul goes and visits them. Uh, back on the timeline, please. He, he visits them in the first journey before AD 48. He's back, goes to Jerusalem for either trip two or three. I'm not sure which one. And he delivers some stuff to Jerusalem in AD 49, 48. And then in AD 49, he goes back to Antioch, which is his home church. And he gets a message that these Galatians were abandoning the faith. So he writes this letter to them that is known as the letter of Galatians. And it's a correctionary letter. And, and by the way, this letter of Galatians was written to say what the rules of engagement were for us as Christians who were Gentiles. And the reason this is important and the reason the timeline is there is AD 50 is either the third or the fourth trip to Jerusalem. And this is the time, this is the time that the church council all got together, all the apostles, and they made a decision about the content of Paul's message. And they supported, you can read it, it's in Acts chapter 15. They supported the content of Paul's message that he had been preaching all the way back in 46, all the way through 50 AD. And there was a lot of debate about it, and you can read about it in Acts 15. Now, the reason this is important, and the timeline is important, is notice that the book of Galatians is written to a church that was founded well before AD 50. So Paul's message to us that we have recorded was before the church made a decision. And that's key because if, if, Paul, if the church had already made the decision, all Paul would have done was he would have sit down and said, hey guys, refer to the church's decision. But he didn't do that. He wrote a letter explaining it. Can, can, I, can I get really practical with you? Some of you are waiting for God to give you the big answer. 
when the process is where the miracle happens. Without the process, there would be no decision for you and I. And we'll talk about what that means in just a second. But my point in all of this is, is that you can trust the timelines of the Bible. Acts is a reliable document. Galatians is a reliable document. All these things are reliable. Another thing we learn from this timeline is Paul is not a lone ranger. We know he went at least twice, probably three times, if not four times to Jerusalem to ask the apostles, Peter and James and the people in charge, to ask them if he was preaching the right thing. So Paul was not a person saying, I'll do my own thing. The guy who changed the world was in submission to the authority over him. That's really good right there. Because we live in a Lone Ranger world. Ain't nobody got the right to tell me what to do. Well, then you're going to live a miserable life. And then the last thing is Paul wrote this letter before the Jerusalem Council in AD 50. One, one other thing about that. Listen, do you realize that I, I, I follow a lot of people that claim to be atheists online. And they're the new atheists and whatever. They're always calling into question, you know, the Bible and all that kind of stuff and saying it was written 300 A.D. and the church made it up. And listen, we have letters in our Bible that were written within 19 years of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Come on, I've been the pastor of this church for 30 years. 19 years is not that long in history right? The gospel you and I stand on is one that was written incredibly close to the events in which it happened, and the authority of it and the power of it is still real and viable to this day. It was not made up by a group of people later on. It is the original authentic message, and you can trust it. All right. So, where am I at? I've I got to switch now. So we have two things, two reasons Paul writes this letter. There are two issues he's going to address. The first one is the theological issue of the letter. The theological issue is a fuss about foreskins. Circumcision, peritomeo in the Greek. Peri means around, tomeo means to cut, to cut around. Some of you are like, I don't know what foreskins are, and I'm not sure I really want to know. Well, let me tell you that the Gentiles were being engrafted into a Jewish church. In the Jewish church, the Jewish believers, or if you were a Jewish person, the sign that you were a participant in the Jewish covenant of God's blessing on Abraham is that you did what God told him to do, which was to cut the extra skin from around the male genitalia. I can't believe I'm saying all this in church. It's in the Bible, people. Deal with God, not me. So anyway, but, but, but it was the symbol. So if you were a Jewish person, it, you, you guy, you would circumcise, cut the extra skin off. And the extra skin is like bagels. Y'all know bagels? Bagels? Where do bagels come from? Bagels came from this, that Jewish ladies would make the bagels like the extra skin cut off in the shape and form, and they would give them to women who were pregnant to say, I hope you have a man so you can carry on Abraham's seed. Y'all didn't know that. Next time you have a bagel, just... It, <laughs> I got lots I could say because I was in the back and they were eating bagels a while ago. I'm like, oh, guys, come on. No, anyway, no, that's where it comes from. So that's what, so if, if you were a covenant partner of Abraham's blessing, 
you, you had this symbol. By the way, it's appropriate for us to have a symbol of a covenant, right? I wear one every day. I have a covenant symbol right here. It's right here. This says to my wife and to everybody in the world, I'm hers. We stood at an altar. I swore my love to her. I'm hers. And this is an outward symbol of a commitment we made. And that's what happens when you make a covenant is you have an outward symbol. I mean, that's why we celebrate communion, right? It's an outward symbol. Are y'all, are y'all following me here? So, but to the Jewish person, it wasn't just that you were a part of Abraham's covenant. It was that you were committed to obey the law. So you were committed to obey the law, all the rules in the Bible, you were committed and they would circumcise you. And when you were circumcised, that was a sign that you were now a part of Abraham's blessing and you were completely committed to the law and you had to obey all the rules in the Bible. So Paul comes along and says, no, no, we are in Christ. The law is done. It's finished. We don't have to be circumcised anymore. And, and these people showed up at the church and said, no, 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 you got to be circumcised. So I thought about this. You know, if we go back to that embracing the law, you know, I got to live by all the law, then what we got to do is we got to call all the males that want to join the church up here on church next Sunday morning. I'm going to pull out my knife and we're going to have a surgery on you as a proof in front of everybody that you're committed to the law. No, somebody says, not me. No, it's, that's a little weird, right? So what Paul is saying, the fuss about foreskins is this, is that people literally showed up and said to Paul, I said to the church of Galatia, that you need to be circumcised so that you're committed to God's covenant. And Paul says, no, we do not need to be circumcised because the law is done. We have a new covenant, and the new covenant includes all of Abraham's covenant and blessings, and it's a new covenant in Christ where the Holy Spirit is put in us, not just from the outside. And he says, the sign of this, your symbol, is you're baptized. And then you celebrate that when you celebrate the Lord's Supper, which wasn't a a cup of stale juice and an old bent cracker. No, it was you would sit down to a meal with one another, look one another in the eye and hold one another accountable in love. Are you following me here a little bit? All right, so some of you are still saying, what, I don't have to obey the law, the rules? No, you don't. And I, I will show you, Jesus said this, Matthew 5, 17. This is Jesus. He said, do not think I've come to abolish the law or prophets. No, I'm not coming to abolish them. I'm come to Fulfill them. What does fulfill mean? Anybody, anybody ever fill up a cup? My, I get my wife a, a, a Diet Coke every day from somewhere. And when I get it, I get some ice in the cup and then I put Diet Coke in it until it gets up to the top. What happens if I put more in? It goes over because if it's full, it's full. And Jesus said he came to do what with the law? Make it full. No, no more goes in, no more comes out. It's done. It's over with. It's full. It's done with. That's what Jesus said. And Romans 10, 4, Paul said, for Christ is the end of the law, the completion, the end. It's done with no more. The law does not need to be obeyed in any way. And then in Hebrews chapter 8, 13, somebody else, we don't know who it was, I think maybe it was Apollos, he wrote this. He said, by calling the, this covenant new or the covenant we have in Jesus new, he has made the first one what? Obsolete. And if it's obsolete, come on, anybody still have a dial-up phone in your house? attached to the wall and you want to call somebody, you go over to the wall and you take your dial-up rotary phone with a line still attached and make your phone call. Anybody do that? You know, and you stand there because your cord's about this long. Anybody still do that? Why? Because those phones are what? They're obsolete. They, they, 
Yeah, everybody's got a phone in your pocket now. You don't need one on your wall. They're obsolete, sort of like cable TV and other stuff. But anyway, all right. So Jesus did what? He fulfilled the law and he gives us the fullness of God's promise to Abraham. And the sign of that is that we receive the Holy Spirit. So th the promise is this, is that that covenant of the law is done with. It's over. You don't have to obey the rules anymore. And some of you rule obeyers, you just flipped out when I said that. And I want to show you a sign of what you rule obeyers look like, what you law people. We got a picture of, of this. Uh, can you show that picture of the storefront with all the signs on it? Because, yeah, anybody ever go into a store like this? If I pull up to a store like this, I don't go in. You know why? You know why I don't go in? Because it doesn't matter. I'm not reading all of those, and if I do, I'm only going to get ticked off. This guy's a jerk. And, and rules, rules have never stopped anybody from writing bad checks or whatever it is. You know, I, I, know, that, I, I know that all lawbreakers... When they go into a bank and they see no guns allowed on the front sign, that, that stops, that sign stops them from taking their gun in to rob the bank, right? No, lawbreaking is never stopped by more rules. All more rules do is make us, make us get an attitude when we walk up to the door. So what did Paul say? He said in Galatians 3.13, for Christ redeemed us. Let's talk about redeem for a second. I get this thing online, it's called Group Golfer, and I can get golf games really cheap. I can, you know, 15 bucks, get a 25, uh, get 18 holes in a cart that would cost me 50 bucks, and I get it for 15. And I have to print out my coupon for it and take it to the course. So I take my coupon to the course, and, and you know, I bought this one, and I take this coupon, and it's got a code on it. I take it to the course, and they give it to me, and they scan it, or they type the numbers in, and I get, a free, I get my golf because it was paid for. I redeem the coupon. So if I go back tomorrow and I try to play golf using the same, same piece of paper, will they let me play? Why not? Because it's already been redeemed. Why are you still trying to live by the law if Christ has already redeemed you from the curse of the law? He said, he redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for his, for his written curse is everyone who's hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we may receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. So God took the laws, the law, and he abolished it, uh, made it obsolete, fulfilled it, redeemed it. Do you get the language here? There's a lot of language around there, isn't there? Do you think God wants to let you know it's done? So what happened was there was a practical problem, at a, a practical issue at the church of Galatia. What happened was a bunch of people came or somebody or somebodies came from this Judaizer group and they came to Galatia and they said, no, 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 you got to obey all the laws. You, can, you can't eat shrimp no more. You can't eat a cheeseburger no more. And that shirt I'm wearing that's part cotton, part linen, you can't wear that anymore. And you can't cut the sides of your hair anymore and you can't get tattoos well, you got to cut that arm off where you got the tattoo. And, and we got to cut something else off while we're at it. That's what they were saying. So Paul hears this and he says, no, 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 no. These people are cutting in on you. I want to show you a little video of what it looks like when somebody cuts in on you.
Now come take a look at this. One wrong move by a driver had a domino effect on I-485. A car lost control, slammed into others. It's like this crash just wouldn't end. After the crash, the car hall says caused all of it just kept going down the interstate. We got one more for you, what a crash looks like. Look at the car up there on the top. And look what happens. One person cuts in and everybody winds up getting wrecked. And what was happening at Galatia, somebody showed up and, and using Paul's words, they cut in on them. They cut them off. And when, when they made that movement, that movement brought chaos and destruction. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. The rest of this time is a practical issue of somebody cutting in on you and how we I, I was reading a book. How, how, do we, how do we protect against our kids being wrecked like that? Our lives being wrecked like that? How do we protect against it? I was reading a book recently called The Other Half of Church by a guy named Jim Wilder. And he talks about how our brains are designed for community and how the affirmation and smile and acceptance of someone shapes how your brain literally works. You cannot process logic until you feel affirmation. So my wife and I, we've been, we've been at this for a while, and we'll hear a story from somebody that like left their woman who left their husband and went and all of a sudden wanted to divorce when everything looked good last week, and I'd always say, what's his name? What's his name? And nine times out of ten, there's a name of somebody that showed up that led her away from her husband it works the same way. What's her name? Or I see a teenager that, you know, they're at church and they're, they're here serving, they're working, they're praising God, and, and they're coming to youth ministry. And then a couple weeks later, a couple weeks later, they're not showing up. I, you know what I know? I, f I know they found a friend group that led them away. And, and I just want to tell you that what we have lost as a church is we've lost our community because now we think it's all right for us to waltz through the back doors once or twice a month, sit in front, listen to the guy talk, walk out the back door, never interact with anybody. And I'm telling you that if you do that, you're like a catfish pulled out of water, laying up on the beach going, <laughs> you're laying there dying. You will never live if you're pulled out of community. God did not make you to do Christian faith alone. He made you to do it in community with the people around you. And I know what's going to happen. If you're not listening to the voice of God in community to the people with you, you will start listening to the voice of the world leading you to a, a destruction outside of this place. You show me your friends. You show me your five closest friends, I will show you the direction of your life. Because our brains are designed that when we get affirmation acceptance from somebody, then we want to listen to what they have to say about life and truth. Come on. Anybody in this place? I, I've, done, I've done research on this. I've talked to a lot of people. Tell me the time you were the closest to Christ, you were growing the most in your relationship with Jesus. The time that you grew more in that time period than any other time. I'm going to tell you what you had. You had a friend or a group of friends near you that encouraged you to grow in faith. 
The opposite is true. I read an article years ago about everybody who started smoking. And nobody, nobody thinks, hey, it's a great idea to pull cancer into my lungs and smell horrible and spend lots of money. Everybody that started smoking had a friend teach them to smoke. See, we are designed for relationship. And what matters, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. And we as a church have stopped loving and we wonder why we don't have any impact on the world. And the reason you stop loving is you think you're spiritual because you waltz through the door, sit on your butt, complain about how it sounds, or somebody didn't do something you like, and you walk right back out the door, and you add nothing to the church, and all you do is complain because you're a consumer. And if you're a consumer, you are not adding to the gospel. You are destroying the work of God in this world. I meant that. Do you, know, do you know how Jesus changed the world? He took 12 guys and hung out with them for three years. How did the church then grow from 120 to 250? Little slave girls decided that they were going to love the people they were around, invest in them, and pray for them to be filled with the Spirit. And they built community. And they would sneak out before their long day of serving in their house. Before dawn, they would get up and they would go out and worship and make pledges to each other that they would follow Jesus and not break uh, rules of, of integrity or character. And then they would go back to their house and be mistreated all day long as slaves. And yet those are the girls that changed the world. All right, so I, I, in 1978, there was a movie, Scared Straight. One more, movie, Scared Straight. It worked. 17 kids were taken into a high, uh, high penitentiary. They were taken into a penitentiary with a bunch of lifers, and they pulled the kids in, and the kids, they were, you know, anywhere from like 15 to 18, something like that, and they, they just let these lifetime prisoner guys no rules, just go off on them, just go off on them. And they yelled at them and screamed at them. And those kids went back home and, and 16 of the 17 never showed up in prison ever again. Now that didn't work from then on. Never worked from that moment on. Because here, here's the message that they said worked. And the message those 17 kids got. They got that you're not welcome in prison. We don't like you. They thought, hey, it'd be cool to hang out with these people. They go in, those people told them, we don't like you, we don't want you. So they went back home and they accepted the love and inclusion of their family and their churches and they turned their world around. Why didn't it work from then on? Because everybody knew that it was a show and not that it was a reality. What did I just say to you? I said the power of affirmation and acceptance has the power to change lives. And if you want a church that you can just sort of waltz in and you can observe the show and leave, this is really not the church for you. Because we will become a church where we're committed to one another and we are committed to life groups and we're committed to serving with one another and giving to one another. And if you think there's a problem here, it's your job to fix it. It's not my job to fix it. It's your job to fix it. I'm painting a different story because I'm tired
I'm tired of losing kids. I'm tired of it. Churches were doing it isn't working. We need to do it a way that works. Where our kids grow up in age-appropriate ministries being loved to those around them and we can drop the drama and actually love each other and treat each other like Christ. Maybe some of you adults could actually get involved with the next generation, actually love them instead of, I'm too old to do that. No, you're not. You're not too old until you're dead. Trust me, I have these feelings, and I'm telling you, we have to do it differently because I'm tired of watching people I love get their lives trashed because they're accepting the affection of liars who want to destroy them rather than the church that wants them to live to be old, happy, healthy people who love their family and have a relationship with them. So Paul says a couple of things, and then I got, I, man, I'm, I'm over, sorry. Paul says a couple of things. To, this is why you should listen to him. Number one, his authority is from God, not from humans. Galatians chapter 1, he says, verse 1, Paul, an apostle, sent not from man nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God our Father who raised him from the dead. My authority is not mine, my authority is God's. Second of all, his commitment is to the blessing of the Galatians, not their bondage. He says, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved in you. We want your blessing, not your bondage. We don't want you to be hurt. We want you to grow. And Paul is committed to integrity, even when it means confrontation. Galatians 2.11, great story. When Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, you know, he used to eat with the Gentiles and then he started acting in a way that was wrong. And, and Paul confronted him because Paul would rather confront you for what you do wrong than let you live a destroyed life. And then Paul was willing to pay the price. This isn't like fake friends. Why do, why do your friends want you? Why do your friends want you? This is a great question to ask. Why do, why do people want you to follow them on Insta or Facebook or YouTube or whatever it is? Why do they want the followers? So they can feel good about themselves and a lot of them just want to make something off of you. Why do those friends want you to smoke drugs? Why, why do those friends want you to steal or behave in that way or, or to change your sexual identity? Why do they want that from you? i tell you why they want it. So they can feel better about their sin because they have, they're on a highway to hell and all my friends are going with me. Nobody, nobody in their right mind wants to go on the highway to hell because I've seen the lives that are wrecked on it. But yet they all want you to go with them so they can crawl over you to get to their next pleasure. But when you find somebody that says, I will lay down my life so you can have a better life like Paul did, you should trust that guy. All right. Paul told them the truth, but they were comfortable in their old narratives. You know, Jesus already paid for our sin, but yet you live in guilt for your past failures. Jesus loves us unconditionally, yet we still doubt our self-worth. Jesus wants us to love one another, but we live in unforgiveness and laziness towards one another. Jesus tells us to serve one another, but we're selfish. His name was Mike. I was there the day he got saved, and he got saved. He was a heroin addict, and he got saved. He got really saved. His life changed. He started hanging out with us, and my dad sort of took him under his arm to disciple him, and 
And uh, before long, Mike, a couple of months later, Mike stopped responding to the phone calls. Now, Mike had gotten married. He had a beautiful wife. He had a life that was going in the right direction. He had got a job back, and his entire world was going the right way. And you know what Mike did? He went back to his old friends. And when he went back to his old friends, me and Dad finally hunted him down one day because we were looking for him. Because, you see, we wanted Mike to live the best life. But when we found him, he was stoned naked, totally stoned, cold, passed out naked on a seedy little motel room, laying there in his own puke and vomit and filth in the floor of a nasty hotel room. And that's how we found Mike. But when he left the faith, he had a wife, he had a family, he had a job, he had his world together and moving in the right directions. But his friends took him back to the filth. Why does Rover's Morning Glory want you to listen to him so they can filter your mind with their crap and you listen to it? It's time for us to stop it and to commit to one another, to be people of faith together, to encourage one another, to step up and to move in the right direction. And you think I'm mad. I'm going to show you how mad Paul was. Oh, I'm mad. I'm mad. I'm tired of watching people I love get destroyed by people who only want to use them. And that makes me mad because you know what I want for you? You know what I want for you? I want you to be 85 years old, walking down the road with your husband, gumming whatever you eating a, a corn dog and gumming it because you ain't got no teeth and you're holding hands and you and your hubby are like, oh, yeah, we just love life because it's so awesome. Our kids all love us and we love them and we have Jesus and we're just so happy and we're blessed financially and physically and you know we're going to die soon, but it's been fun. And that's what I want for you. You know what I don't want to do? I don't want to find you in a seedy hotel room, passed out naked on the floor with your own filth and vomit on you. You think I'm mad? Let's listen to what Paul said. Galatians 1.6. Usually, in all, every other letter Paul wrote, he wrote Thanksgiving. He did not write a Thanksgiving. He prayed a short prayer, and then he started with, I'm astonished at you. I'm astonished. You know, you walk in your kids, you're like, I am astonished. And that's, the, that's how he starts the letter. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you. But you think that's mad, catch this one, all right? Galatians 5, 7. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you? Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever he may be, he's going to have to pay the penalty. As for those agitators, I wish they'd go the whole way and not stop at circumcision, just cut the whole thing off. You can look it up. That's what it means. It's not this anymore. It's that's mad. All the guys in the room said, that's mad. But that, he, he got, he's more mad than that. You know what he says in Galatians 1.9? As we've already said, and I'll now say it again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them go to hell. That's what anathema means. I'd rather them go to hell than to lead you astray. God, kill them now and send them eternity away from you because they're messing with your people. That's mad. That's mad. You know why Paul was that mad? Because Paul knows that we're here to help one another, and all they wanted to do was use one another. Now, I got a little video because I'm going to show you what our attitude is to be 
at this church. We're to be a people who help, not just run on God. That's who we're called to be. Listen, I'm not just me, the person next to you. We're here today to pick you up if you're struggling, to help you finish strong. We got prayer teams that are going to get up and going to come right now to the altar. Prayer teams are coming right now. And as they're moving, I want to invite you, if, if you have a need, you want somebody to pray with you today, you want somebody to help you, to spend a moment praying with you, to encourage you. We have these people up here, if you, if you want them to put a mask on, all of them have a mask in their pocket. If you need a mask to pray, don't have a problem putting it on. We're, listen, we just want you to be encouraged. We'll pick you up and help you across the line. It can be physical, emotional, spiritual. Maybe it's your day to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. It's your day. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and I'm going to ask you not to go anywhere. Give it a couple of minutes, guys. Stand with me, and if you want somebody to pray with you, they're here. We're going to sing this song. I'm going to come back and dismiss this. And-